The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancelled too soon. The the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. Sorry, I have to say the the podcast that that reviews television series that died an early death, and now we lurch them up out of the grave. We exhume the corpses and we pick through the bodies, looking for the tastiest bones. Sure. That was just off the top of my head. I like it. <laughs> I was going to do my Crypt Keeper voice, but I realized I did that so many times in the B-Movies podcast, I thought maybe I should try to do some sort of... Something new. Yeah, some or some sort of Earl Ravenscroft kind of thing. And Thurl Ravenscroft. Thurl Ravenscroft. <laughs> I'm fired. No, no one can be Thurl Ravenscroft. That's true. Except maybe <laughs> Boris Karloff, who I thought was Thurl Ravenscroft they for the d- longest time. They have similar voices. Yeah. Bor- Boris Karloff was Boris Karloff. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm aware. You know him, but Thurl Ravenscroft was Tony the Tiger. Yeah. So and he, he was he also that, the... You know, incredibly deep voice. And he was also the narrator in How the Grinch Stole Christmas. No, that was Boris Karloff. See, this is why I got confused. <laughs> Who was Thurl Ravenscroft that he did a horror thing? He did a horror thing, right? Uh, Didn't he, he like, do, he, like, uh, Monster he, Mash or something? Did, or? Well, that was Bobby Pickett doing a Boris Karloff impersonation. Damn it! <laughs> Who are you, Thurl Ravenscroft? Look up Thurl Ravenscroft. With a name like Thurl Ravenscroft, I assumed he was horror legacy. <laughs> you know, he was like a legend in the industry. I love that Mr. and Mrs. Ravenscroft got together. What shall we name our son? We shall name him Thurl! <laughs> This is either neither hide nor hair. Who are you? My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic for Crave Online and uh, lately somewhat for IGN. Mm. Everybody calls me Bibs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I write for Nerdist.com yeah. and uh, Legion of Leia, if I can ever get around to doing that again. Good times. And, and, uh, yeah. and I host a podcast and I run film projectors. You're a cool guy. Uh, Everybody likes you. If, if you think I'm cool, I have you fooled. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the beginning of a song. Oh. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, this is canceled too soon, and uh, we've done a lot of theme months this year, and it's just going to keep getting more and more so, because we got another one planned for November, but uh, we just came off of Suddenly last season, where we reviewed uh, a whole bunch of TV shows that were just canceled Mm -hmm. recently, and now it's October, and we are legally obligated to review a bunch of horror stuff, and there's no shortage on television, so this is fine. (laughs) It's not like like we have to go out of our way or break our backs to do this, because there's way too much to choose from, and we picked some real doozies for you this year. So uh, this time we're going to get started with, we haven't done a pilot in a while. Uh, Yeah, well, given that we were just doing recently canceled shows that all lasted a whole season, we thought we'd give ourselves a break. Oh my god, we were we were so exhausted (laughs) after watching all that. So this is a good this is a good palate cleanser. It's also one of the weirdest pilots we've ever done. Oh yes, Uh, and uh, it's also one of the most famous pilots, even though no one's ever heard of it because you know the name. That's right. The name is Bates Motel. After the death of Norman, 
the motel has been taken over by a new owner who doesn't know what he's let himself in for. Strange things are bound to happen. Bates Motel is a chilling supernatural thriller. It's 27 years later. I, Norman Bates, being of sound mind, knowing the history of that place, I'd be out of there at the first full moon. Bates Motel has come back to life. Looking that crazy. And history will repeat itself. Like most people, they don't go around seeing stuff that's not there. One more time. What are you doing here? One last time. Now, you'll notice that's not the Bates Motel that is currently on cable TV. Well, I think it just ended. But yeah, Bates Motel, the more recent series starring uh, Vera Farmiga mm. and uh, that kid from Finding Neverland. Uh, that was No, it was the kid from uh, Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Uh, Different kid. That was a good show. But that was all like a prequel show about how Norman Bates moved to the Bates Motel with his mother and it, how he became a serial killer. But it was and, set in modern day, right? Uh, yeah, they updated that a little bit. Uh, Just, so, eh, I'm not too mad about it. These are all based, of course, on the book Psycho, written by Robert Block in yeah. 1958 or 9, around there. Yes, and using uh, a lot of the uh, visual iconography that was coined by Alfred Hitchcock in his classic movie Psycho, which was a huge hit. Yep. Uh, it kind of cleaved film history in two. Especially horror movies. Uh, horror movies yeah. in particular, but like it just in terms of the kind of edgy material that it brought into the mainstream. This is not just the you know film that had like naked stabbings in the shower and uh, uh, what were we talking about? Serial killers and uh, multiple mm. personalities, but also had the Vo- first flushing toilet on camera. Yeah, like nobody had thought to point, at least in a mainstream feature film. No, certainly in America. Like, yeah, this sure, was. I'm the, sure Kenneth Anger, like, yeah. shot a film that was entirely on the toilet. But, Possibly. Yeah. But, like, and it also was, like, extremely daring in terms of how it presented its story. And that, um, I, I, I assume you've seen Psycho. If you uh, haven't, stop now, go see it, come back. Because we're going to be talking about spoilers for Psycho. Oh, yeah. We, we, you can't avoid them. And this, this show uh-huh. assumes you know Psycho. Um, it's the story of. Psycho, the movie, was the story of Marion Crane. Uh, played by Janet Lee, who uh, was having an affair with a man. They felt like they couldn't get their life started because he was massively in debt. So she stole a bunch of money from work and she was going to go run off with him. Uh, along- and this is about like the first half hour of the movie. <laughs> and then she stops in at a pretty innocuous place called the Bates Motel. Well, she decides to skip town with the money. Yeah, that's what I mean. She skipped town. She stole the money uh-huh. and she ran away. Then she spends the night on the road at the Bates Motel. She meets this very callow young man named Norman Bates, played by the amazing Anthony Perkins. Mm-hmm. And while she's like looking at his like sort of miserable life, she realizes that she's throwing away everything she ever had. She needs to not do this anymore. And then she's stabbed to death by Norman's mother. And then we follow Norman, Nor- Norman and his his trials. <laughs> yeah, as he <laughs> like desperately the- tries to deal with having a homicidal mother and hiding murders. It's a really and you feel really bad for the guy the until the dr- end. Dr- dramatically shifts focus when yeah. the protagonist is murdered. Yeah, that's a huge. That, people still don't do that that often. Like it's still a really weird way to tell a story, uh-huh. and it blew everyone's minds. Uh, and then, of course, the big twist at the end was Norman's mother had been long dead, and Norman was his mother. Yeah, yeah, developed this sort of alternate personality. Who is this murderous mother character? Yeah. It's a, it was a 
it was a it was a book that was initially very successful, and then when Alfred Hitchcock bought the rights, he bought up every copy of the book so no one would know the twist. <laughs> so it wasn't like around for a while, and then Psycho was huge, and then kind of went away for a while, and then around the eighties they started coming out with sequels. Uh, Nineteen eighty three, I think, was Psycho two. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, why they brought it back in the 80s, who knows? Nostalgia well, was just starting to rise I think again. The, I think also slashers were starting to become a thing again. So, like, oh, what do we have to compete with Halloween and Friday the 13th? Well, we have Boy, Psycho. So, yeah, Universal <laughs> said, well, we already have Psycho. We'll bring yeah. back Norman Bates. I'm sure Anthony Perkins is still alive. Yeah. They brought it back. Um, had him move back into his old house. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's haunted, but he doesn't know. There's like, there's always yeah. like the supernatural floating above Psycho. But Alfred Hitchcock was always very, very careful never to include the supernatural. Yeah, it was always just crazy guys, basically. And so well, the birds. There's something weird going on in the birds. So well, I've I've heard it said that was like environmental, or maybe it was My demonic. But it's that never he, made explicit. It's never made explicit. But there's still <coughs> something unnatural that doesn't happen in the real world yeah, going on in the birds. That's the fair. one exception I would say. That's fair. Um, so yeah, but it turns out that was also not really a haunting and people were trying to drive Norman crazy to frame him for something. Yeah. And then in Psycho 3, Psycho he 3, had which a... Psycho 1986. And I haven't seen this one, but this is one where he had an accomplice played by Jeff Fahey, right? He had like a protege? Uh, he, he didn't have a protege. Jeff Fay, he was like the thug who tried to insinuate himself into Norman's life. And he was looking after like an, a fallen nun who had crashed hmm. at the base motel. What I think is interesting about all of these, and, and, and Psycho 4, which would come out after this. That, that was like 90. 90, 91. 90, yeah, around that. And that one's kind of interesting because it's actually uh, Norman telling his story of his childhood. And he's played by Henry Thomas from E.T. giving a great performance. Um, Mom's played by Olivia Hussey in that who's one. also great. Like, that's actually a really good movie. Um, <laughs> it's not a really no, good movie. No, I think it is. I think it's, <laughs> it's a really an good okay movie. movie. I, think, I think it craps the bed a bit right at the end, but I think <laughs> I think up until then, it's like as good as a Psycho prequel could be, yeah, at least until t- we got... TV movie version of, of Psycho. Yeah. Um, but what I think is interesting is that all of those movies are about the idea, or at least the hope, that Norman could be rehabilitated. Yes. That Norman could be made, if not normal, then at least... Uh, healthy and lead a forgi- like a forgiven, productive life, and then he's always pulled back by trauma or outside influence or people it's, trying to manipulate. It's him. always outside influence. It's never. But it's like, also in his head. I mean, if he didn't yeah. have mental problems, if he wasn't mentally ill, that would not be as effective. But he's always prodded. You know, people yeah. are always like, and and but it's always if people he, would leave him alone, maybe he would be okay. He is guilty of murder. He's killed numerous people, but he was out of his mind, and now he's trying to live as healthy and productively as possible, mm. but these outside forces keep wanting to treat him like a scapegoat. There's a, a, a clockwork orange element to that. Mm. I, where they're trying to see what you're trying at. to get the crazy guy to be crazy again because it's more comfortable for us to ca- sort of keep the crazy in a corner. I'm not quite sure. I, I look at clockwork orange the same way you do, but okay. But that's what clockwork orange is all about, dude. <laughs> well, it's not about prodding. It's about actually trying to rehabilitate him, isn't it? And then it just it, he, he's still evil well, inside. They rehabilitate him, but they br- put him out into the world, and everybody he encounters just wants to abuse him and make they, sure he's they want to uh, hurt him. But I don't think they're trying to like uh, reprogram him again. I don't think they're trying to undo his program, and they're just taking advantage. Well, but of at him. the very end, they pro- re- they unprogram him, and they <sighs> keep the crazy in the box. We're getting off track, anyway. <laughs> anyway, so the Psycho series was in a weird place right now, and you got to remember that when these Psycho movies came out. They made money. They weren't very well respected when they came out. They no, were seen as kind the, of a tawdry the sort of. Were were very much in the same 
mold as like Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Like people, yeah. they actually were classier films than that. But like adult yeah. audiences didn't think very highly of Psycho yeah. Two and Psycho Three. It was it was considered, at least in my memory, uh, a bit of a slap in the face to Hitchcock's original. Mm. Um, so, which they kind of are. They're, a they're, little bit. They're, <laughs> leave, the, leave the original alone. I, this I, doesn't need to be a franchise. It's weird that again, they tried to do it. I haven't seen three. Two isn't particularly good. I think four has enough good stuff in it that it's worth watching, but uh-huh. I don't think you needed any of them, really. I mean, you saw three. Do we need three? No. Yeah. No, we we don't need sequels to Psycho, yeah. nor do we need a TV series. Okay, so this brings us to the TV series. This came out one year after Psycho 3. Uh, it was created by, uh, what's his name, Richard Rothstein, who had also created the hit anthology series The Hitchhiker, which was a uh-huh. big deal in the 80s and no one talks about it anymore. <laughs> uh, he also wrote the original story for Universal Soldier. He nice. also wrote the Wes Craven TV horror movie Invitation to Hell. So he had an interesting career. Uh, and it aired on ABC on July 5th, 1987, opposite the short-lived George C. Scott sitcom Mr. President and the Tracy Ullman <laughs> Show. We gotta track down Mr. Uh, President. Mr. President dude. lasted two seasons. Ah, Somehow. Yeah. That's a pity. It's so weird to think of George C. Scott doing a sitcom as the president. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a joke that would be on The Simpsons? Honey, where are my shoes? <laughs> <laughs> you left him in North Korea. Um, <laughs> so That's the, why George C. Scott. So this was so, anyway, so this was a pilot. They were going to try to turn it into a series. It didn't work, and so they released it as a TV movie. And the premise of the TV movie is this: Bud Court from Harold and Maude, uh-huh. Mash. He's the voice of the Toy Man on the uh, DC animated TV shows. You know uh, Bud Court. You should know Bud Court. Um, he plays Alex West. A guy Norman Bates happened to know in a mental institution. They, they like they were like roommates or something. Like yeah, I didn't Norman, realize that you had roommates in mental institutions. Norman but, Bates. Uh, there you go. The beginning of the uh, the beginning of the movie slash pilot uh, is this really angry Alex Jones kind of reporter, like sort of <laughs> recapping the events of Psycho as Norman Bates is like taken away to a mental institution, and he's just like Norman. Bates killed his mother. It was it was messed up, and now he's in jail. And I'm like, geez, it's okay because like the first thirty minutes of this of this show is all exposition, like it's just nonstop well, the exposition. En- the entire first half like doesn't even get to the premise of what the series is supposed to be. It, it really spins its wheels for it a long time. Doesn't get to the time. Bates Motel for like twenty seven minutes. Yeah, like, it's yeah. insane. So there, there's all this backstory, and so, I th- and this is something that actually even though this pilot ignores all of the continuity of Psycho 2 and Psycho 3. Yes. Those are just gone. Along all three of these, there's this post-murder, just like overblown outrage of every single character that knows Norman Bates. Like, the world is out to get Norman Bates in this universe. Well, he's one of the most notorious serial killers in American history. He's a serial killer, People have the same reaction to people like, you know, Ted Bundy or Charles Manson. You just know the name and you decry that. They don't, we have sympathy for Norman because we were in his head. They, once. they don't decry him in an intelligent way, you know, in a logical argument. They just sort of charge into the room screaming. And I feel like this is the world Norman Bates lives in. People are always screaming at him. And yeah, I think yeah. maybe that's what they're trying to get at. In, but he's like, not in the that movie. That he's oppressed. Here's, but, the, here's the fucking thing he's not in the movie. In the, we hear his voice. We hear his voice briefly, but here's, here's what happens. So Norman Bates is taken off to a mental institution. We then cut to. 
Fucking Robert Picardo, the the holographic God bless that man. the holographic doctor from Star Trek Voyager as Doctor Goodman, and he is the psychologist to both Norman Bates and Alex West, played by Bud Court. Alex killed his father. His father was abusive. Stepfather. Yeah. Stepfather. His father was abusive. Alex killed him. Now he's in a mental institution, and he's taken under Norman Bates's wing. And Norman like tries to help rehabilitate Alex and give him the life that Norman never could have because Norman Alex is, might get out someday. Norman is a gentleman. Norman Bates, a gentle mentor yeah. to other murderers. There's this amazing bit where they're like, in order to like get us from Alex as a child to Alex as an adult with like Bud Court's face and Bud Court, who of course will always look twelve. <laughs> he looks twelve now. Yeah. There's this pan over all of these photographs of Bud Court and Norman Bates, who is actually, uh, who played by, uh, what's his name? I forgot the name of the actor. Uh, Tom, no, not Tom. Where do I got him? I did not write, no, Kurt Paul. Kurt Paul, who was also a stunt double um, in Psycho 2 and 3. Oh, wow, okay. And then he was actually a voice and caller on Psycho 4. So he's the only guy who's been in all the Psycho sequels. Oh, that's funny. Isn't that weird? <laughs> so it's just him growing up with Norman Bates. And there's this one shot, and my wife and I were watching this, and it was the funniest goddamn thing. It's Norman Bates and Alex West as hippies doing, like, an anti-war protest, which is cute <laughs> until you realize, wait a minute, they wouldn't be let out. They had an anti-war protest Inside the the mental institution. Was it it therapeutic? Was it a Halloween costume? Hey, you know, just just because you're in a mental institution doesn't mean you're not politically aware. It just just raises a lot of questions. (laughs) So Norman dies off camera. Yeah. Not 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 by violence. He just dies. Just died. Alex gives an impassioned uh, eulogy at Norman's funeral. And then it turns out Norman had a will. There's a great bit where the guy reading the will says, I, Norman Bates, being of sound mind, I roll. (laughs) Moving on, bequeath the following to, like, Mrs. Carmody, who taught me how to cook. I leave you my turkey. And it's like this styrofoam fake cooked turkey. And she picks up the turkey. And she looks into the sky and says, thank you, Norman. (laughs) I'm like... Evidently, look, it was clearly very special to them. Like, you know what? I, I have a rubber snake on my piano. It's just a rubber snake. But uh-huh. it used to belong to my grandmother, and it's very special to me. It was, it was your grandmother Norman Bates? I mean, it's a well, weird... Well, no, but it's an <laughs> odd object to have emotional attachment to. That's, that's yeah. all. Norman also bequeaths, and I'm amazed they let him keep it. You would think it's the sort of thing that uh, they would sort of give to, like, they would, like, confiscate and give to the state. He bequeaths Alex the Bates Motel. Yeah, like, it, it's still in his name, even though he's in a mental institution. You think that would be a thing. I, I don't know how that works. Maybe you do get to own property if you're in a mental institution? I don't just... Uh, I don't it, think the state, you know, seizes it, was a scene, it all. It was a scene of a crime. I mean, That's it was true. like, you know, there were dead bodies all over it, and we're going to find more over the but course not, of the But not episode. all crime scenes are closed forever. They reopen them eventually. Yeah, but not all crime scenes were, like, owned by the person who committed the crime. It is okay. It's odd. <laughs> it's, it's an unusual thing. I'm sure someone, uh, one of our listeners, try, try has to, some legal knowledge is going to let us know why that works. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to give the, the series the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> and Alex is told that he can keep it if he keeps it open as a motel and uses it as a place where wayward souls can come like, give and it, blah. Give it, give it life again, and you yeah. know, of course, he's going to live in that creepy house and run the motel. Yeah. Oh, and he gets there. <laughs> oh, you're skipping a bit because oh, there's sorry. good stuff because he doesn't get there. He it cuts to him like, um. Oh wait, the uh, the turkey thing was to preserve her best meal. 
That was what it was. To it was preserve a her best veal. I don't know why. Did they they bronzed it. I think they bronzed <laughs> the turkey. Oh, oh, he taxed. Oh, thank you, honey. Okay, I didn't. <laughs> Michelle. Michelle sent me the text. I was trying to be coy about it. Michelle, watch what's this. That, what's that mysterious voice from the back? Why that is Michelle Williams' she, lovely he wife. He taxidermied a cooked turkey. Yes, that could that's be done. really weird. That's the guy. I missed it. It looked plastic to me. Right, but that's the guy. I missed it. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for explaining that joke to us <laughs> and to our listeners. Michelle should be an official third co-host, I think. <laughs> she notices stuff I don't. So he taxidermied a stuffed turkey. There you go. You know, you can buy those stuffed turkeys online. There's a great website called Iwasaki Images that specializes in really realistic fake food. Neat. <laughs> so anyway, Alex gets out of uh, uh, the mental institution, and it just cuts to a building imploding, real subtle-like. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to Fairville, I believe is the name. It, um, it was, fa- I think it was Fairvale. In the originals, and it was Fairville in this yeah. TV movie. Uh, and he's asking around for the base motel. And in the years since Psycho, this has become like a bustling metropolis. Like, it's obviously they've shot it in Los Angeles or nearby. Yeah. Um, well, it's like a suburb. It's not huge. But, but yeah. like, there's no, like, it, it, the base motel was built on a swamp before. Uh-huh. This is not a swamp. There's well, the, buildings and the idea, skyscrapers. The, and, yeah, the idea of the original is that... The hi- when they built the highway, it was one of those yeah. businesses that died when they built the highway and nobody was driving through that area mm-hmm. anymore. The town was dying. So he gets there and he asks everyone about the Bates Motel and literally everyone he asks says, I'm new here. <laughs> Which is a weird... Well, if it's a new town, people I... would just have moved there. So. Yeah, but they would no- not... If they... Everyone just moved here this week and doesn't know their neighborhood? <laughs> doesn't have the gist of it? It's really a brand new city. <laughs> but they, what's a... they built it, but they kept everybody out. My favorite part, though, is um, he's he asks uh, he's asking around, and he runs into Buck Flower, good old Buck Flower. He, and, play, he plays the homeless guy in everything. Yeah, Buck Flower and Carmen Filpy. Who is Carmen Filpy? Carmen Filpy was Old Man Withers from Wayne's World. Really? He was also like Hobo Jack or something oh, from Pee Wee's yeah. Big Adventure. Buck Flower and was, Carmen was, Filpy together. In the same scene as <laughs> homeless winos. This is like oh, this gosh. is like heat. This is like Al Pacino and Robert De Niro <laughs> sharing the screen. If you are a connoisseur like of st- great movie drunks, Buck Flower and Carmen <laughs> Filpy together look at their credits. Half of their credits are wino. Uh, or or homeless guy or Buck, vagrant. Buck Flower was the homeless guy in a lot of John Carpenter's movies. He was the guy in Escape from New York who said, ah, I'm, I'm the president. That was yeah. Buck Flower. He was the he was the uh, uh the vagrant in both Back to the Future one and two. Yeah. Um yeah. He's he, he was played, a, he he played was, a really great vagrant. Yeah. He's great. And what was his name? Filpy? Carmen Filpy. Carmen Filpy. I've and I've seen him in oh, everything. You, you know him. He was he's the, one of those guys. He was you a know stock footage guy in Ed Wood. Uh, yes, yes he was. And he was, uh, I think he was the uh, guy who was like run over by a bus in uh, Beetlejuice. Who was, like, oh, that's uh, right. Was, like, he was flattened. the flat guy. Yeah. The, the guy hanging from so the... he's yeah. great. So just watching these two, watching them work their magic, trying to like offering Alex like a <laughs> shot of whiskey and then says, oh, this kid's holding out on us and trying to drink Norman Bates's ashes. This is gold. 
Also, Psycho? Psycho! <laughs> we have hobos trying to drink Norman Bates' ashes in a comedic scene. Alex has given up on trying to find the Bates Motel, and he's talking to himself, but he's talking to himself next to the drive through window of a chicken shack. So the chicken shack starts talking to him, and he thinks it's fucking... He... <sighs> <sighs> okay, so he runs into Moses Gunn yes. from the Shaft movies. <laughs> he's he's great. He's great. He's you also know him from Never Ending Story. He he's he's older. He's lived in the area his whole life. He knows where the Bates Motel is. He takes Norman there, and the Bates Motel is like there's a big fence around it, and the house is still in the background. But he gets inside the fence, and it's nothing but tumbleweeds. I mean, literally hundreds of tumbleweeds. And I'm like, a this is a developed area. B before it was a developed area, it was a swamp. There's no, there's no tumbleweed. Remember when Norman like pu- pushed the car into the swamp and it sank in the water? And that and, was yeah. an important plot point because it was built on a swamp? Yes. Now it's Tumbleweed City. We sell tumbleweeds and that's all. Somebody just, they, they drained the swamp. Mm-hmm. They took all the water oh, out. Is that, is that what happened? Yeah. For some reason, they went to this condemned crime scene. <laughs> they drained the swamp and then just left it dry. Nice. So the building didn't sink. They wanted to keep it. They wanted to preserve it. So Alex uh, uh, goes to the base motel where there's still tons of evidence left over, like Marion Crane's fake name in the ledger yeah, they has never been <laughs> was the, never removed. The beds are still made. Everything's completely intact. Yeah, yeah. He goes up to the house where he is accosted by Lori Petty from Tank Girl in A League of Their Own wearing a chicken mascot outfit hitting him with a club because she's been squatting in that house and she doesn't believe that he owns it. I like to think that that was Lori Petty's idea. (laughs) Because Lori Petty is a wonderfully nutty person. She is. uh, I love Lori Petty she's great. I've met her in person. She's great. Yeah, That's cool. And uh, she's just as nutty in person as she is on screen. That's great. I have nothing but fun for Lori I like to think that that the young Lori Petty stepped in and is like, yeah, I can play this role, but uh, I want to do it. Can I do it my way? What, you want to play it with a limp or an accent or something? No, no, I just, I have, I have an idea. I have a handle for the character. And she shows up on set the day of shooting in the chicken suit with a club. Says, this is the way I want to do it. And they're like, we can work with this. I say, well, you know what? We're on a schedule. We just got to shoot. So go. We're going to be running into Lori Petty a lot on this show. She also co-starred in Brimstone. Uh, and also Booker, the short-lived 21 Jump Ooh, Street yeah, yeah. Spin-off. Uh, spinoff with Richard Grieco. Back when everyone thought Richard Grieco was going to be the big hit star to come out of 21 Jump Street. Oh, yeah. Those were the days. <laughs> oh, Booker. So uh, uh, Alex decides to get a loan, and he gets a loan from the bank from the amazing Greg Henry from Body Double and Slither and Scandal. <laughs> and he's great. And he's like, and he's at first he's just like, oh, you own the Bates Motel property? That's great because this whole city is being developed and no one knew who owned that land. Everyone's been trying to slash it up. This is great. So what do you need, like $10, 15000000 million to build up some condos? It's like, no, I just want a really small loan so I can start the motel going again. And Greg Henry is just like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I'm like, it's a murder hotel. It's one of the most notorious sites in yeah, like yeah, in like American history, attraction, yeah, it's sure. a, it turned into a murder hotel. It's a huge tourist attraction. You can make a lot of money off of that. That's that's a great idea. I'd stay in the murder hotel. Who wouldn't stay in that hotel? That hotel. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's a great idea. Of course, that's of course. Alex doesn't want to do that. Alex wants to like have it be a respectable motel. But like you would think, his initial response as a money grubbing bank guy, which is really what his whole character is, you'd think he, that would co- be his those idea. Those are common in the eighties. Yeah. Well. it's... Just, 
you know, if the guy who gives you money from a bank, you know, he's going to be the guy concerned about whether or not you make money. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea for how to make money. You have a murder hotel. Um, so Alex gets the money. He's developing the motel. And it's basically just endless montages for a while. Just building the motel. Moses Gunn turns out to be a contractor and he does the work for him and it's great. Um, Lori Petty decides to, to to let Alex let her stay on rent free, and in, addition, <laughs> and in return she'll be like the chef at the cafe he yeah. builds as an addition. Turns out she's a very good cook. Turns out she makes uh, meat, uh, meatloaf a la Bates, which I'm like, I'm not sure I want that meatloaf. <laughs> Doesn't sound well, good. <laughs> do you remember in Jason Goes to Hell where they like rejiggered the menu of the local? Uh, oh yeah, Chris, they, Crystal Lake they, like, Diner. S- they stamped uh, like hockey masks into the meat. Yeah, and be- yeah. And what's good is that they that cut meat out of the meat patty, so you could make give them less food and save uh-huh. money. It's <laughs> a good idea. It's great. Yeah. I just I just don't know if I want to eat Norman Bates's meatloaf. It just seems like a <laughs> terrible. He's not like the Texas Chainsaw Cannibal He's family. Based He's on just... Ed Gein. Well, but he didn't eat anybody. There's no cannibalism in Psycho. Actually, his memory serves he was uh, created concurrently with Ed Gein. Like, Ed Gein's story hadn't been famous yet. Oh, Robert okay. Block was, was still making it. I think that kind of... Uh, synergy. I think, I think it had more of an influence on the movie than it did the book. Yeah. I think that's my understanding. Um, so, uh, meanwhile, twice, while they're digging up the foundation, uh, they dig up Norman's old dead bodies. <laughs> well, the, the, first, it's one of his victims, if I recall. No, it's his mother. Oh, first it's his mother. They find his mother, Gloria a- Bates, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure by that point she was Norma. In the movies, she was Norma. In the first movie, she doesn't have a name. That's true. I believe by she the sequel, she, had, the sequels, she was called she Norma. was called Norma, which I think is stupid. But eh, uh, I kind of like it because it's all Norman, about the blurring of like how he saw himself as kind, her. Kind of obvious. It's but, a little uh, obvious. Uh, and then they also dig up his father, who we had never heard of in any of the previous movies or the book, as, um, to my knowledge. Uh, yes, Nor- his, meaning, meaning his birth father. His birth father, Norman. Okay. B- Norman Bates's birth father. Yeah, is exhumed. Yeah, and it all of a sudden casts this whole new light as to what was going on in the Bates Motel because we never knew what happened to his father. Like it's postulated, he's talked about, but he's never really addressed. He's just yeah. this sort of absent, absent presence, if you will. And if you watch the new series of Bates Motel, they have another story of what happened to Norman's father. But oh well, that's that's all. That's all new stuff. Yeah, they yeah. Just, they, I'm just saying they, they just you, made that up. <laughs> you're making this up as you go along. Psycho series has been around for 50 years. Um, what I thought was really funny is they they don't say his first name, but they say that his first initial is J. I think that's I thought his name was Jake. Jake. I thought this. I could be wrong. Okay, I thought it was just J Bates. Well, anyway. Jay Bates, I realized while I was watching this the first time, G J B A T E S are the initials of the chipmunks and the chipettes. No. <laughs> Alvin Simon Theodore. Uh-huh. I don't remember the chipettes. There were um, Jeanette, mm-hmm. Brittany, and uh, uh, da, da, da. E? It's uh, Eleanor. Eleanor. Oh my god, you're fucking right. <laughs> <laughs> J. <sighs> J. Bates. Reference Someone. to the chipmunks and the chipettes. Someone draw us the chipmunks and the chipettes all dressed as Norman Bates as a, as a, killer, a killer mom. Uh, so clearly something's going on. I here. want that shirt. Now, I want to wear that's all the chips, uh, chipmunks and chipettes wielding large cooking knives. What you need to with do is wig. Get, a, get a series with Vera Farmiga and the new Norman Bates and Jason Lee and those CGI chipmunks. <laughs> and you have a crossover. Event. Now that's a shared universe. I'm excited about. <laughs> I would go see that movie. So they're digging up all these bodies. And uh, Alex starts seeing the ghost 
of Norman's mother. Yeah, thinks he's going insane. Laurie Petty is worried he's going. And, insane. and we know he we know he's going insane. Be, we know it's a hallucination because there are no ghosts in Psycho. No, there've never been ghosts in Psycho. Maybe ridiculous. No, they, they, that would it's be a stupid. Thing what a to silly do. idea to yeah. put ghosts in Psycho. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> cut to <laughs> it's opening night. And Alex finally tells uh, Lori Petty's character uh-huh. uh, that uh, okay, her, her so we, is Willie. Yeah, Willie. So Alex finally tells Willie. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's, she's like, oh, no one's no one's staying here yet, and she's just like, well, you know, we just opened. You know, it'll take a little while for people to to pop by and realize that we're here. And he's like, yeah, I have to make the first payment to the bank tomorrow. And she's like, how much? She's like, like five hundred thousand, two thousand, ten thousand dollars. The second day, uh-huh. you need to make $10,000 the first night or you lose the property. You're no, an idiot. <laughs> even if you're like a Vegas hotel, like you, I imagine you have to pay back a huge chunk of it. Yeah. So you have a big gala opening. This is a little rinky dink motel, like yeah. on the edge of town. A 10000 for the first payment, $10,000 the day after you open. And so, that's $1987. Yeah. So they are <laughs> that, that better be some good meatloaf. And they finally get their first customer. Their first customer is what's her name? Pretty young blonde lady. Yeah, Barbara Peters, played by Carrie Keene. Uh, we're gonna run into her again. She was in Studio Five B, Hot Pursuit. She was also in Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero for a while. Uh, and uh, she seems very nice. She says, "I just want a quiet room." Uh-huh. And uh, she goes to the to her room and she starts trying to commit suicide. And then she's visited by a ghost. <laughs> That's right. A fucking ghost. Not just one ghost, either. And by the way, this is the last, like, 20 minutes of this hour and a half well, TV movie slash pilot. And here is where the premise of the the intended yeah. show begins. This is not, like, some, like, weird show just about opening a hotel and overcoming, like, your past. This is a ghost show. This, this is Nightmare Cafe so this at was, the Bates Motel. So here we are finally setting into the premise. So what the show was intended to be was an anthology series <laughs> set at the Bates Motel. Bud Court is in the background. He's the Crypt Keeper. Uh-huh. Lori, Along with Lori Petty oh, and Moses oh, Gunn. Lori Petty and Morris, Moses Gunn. They are the Crypt Keeper. Or, or Blackie and the other two from Nightmare Cafe, if yeah. you'd like. Which, it's Nightmare Cafe. Which actually came, at, it came after this. So yeah. I would be unsurprised to learn Wes Craven watched this. Well, he worked with the, the, script, with the writer and creator of Bates Motel. I'm sure he probably at least heard of it. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. So that's a good idea. How about a restaurant instead? <laughs> no motel. Yeah. That's my idea. Yeah. Also, it teleports. Okay, Wes Craven, you're weird. <laughs> but th- the idea was a visitor was going to come to Bates Motel, stay like in a destitute state. They were at the end of their rope. They were sad. They were depressed. Maybe they were evil. Who's to say? But they had something wrong with their lives. They were going to go to the motel be visited upon by ghosts that regularly haunt the hotel that can kind of bring themselves to the hotel, uh-huh. give them a good talking to, and their lives would be better afterwards. Yeah. That's what the show was. That was that's All a, of this, the premise of everything show. we've talked about so far, not the premise of the show. It's bizarre. <laughs> so this woman goes to the motel. She's visited by like a, a Bobby Soxer from the 50s who oh. invites this this woman to come into their party with a whole bunch of other like, you know, uh, uh, horse shacks and Fonzes. And they're just all having a big a big dance. And a, what's a weird is he's dance in the motel. What's weird is that Bud Court is like, do, like giving them key, key, keys to their rooms and things. And I'm just like. Are the ghosts paying real money? 
They're ghosts. Well, they have ghost magic. Maybe they're somehow summoning cash. But I'm just like, is does the cash disappear when the ghosts disappear at the end of the at the end of the you'd, moral lesson? You'd think. Maybe the yeah. ghosts are like altering bank records as well. <laughs> <laughs> now that's silly. <laughs> Sorry, that's one step too far. <laughs> you, you ruined it. You ruined Bates Motel. <laughs> She goes to this sock hop, this impromptu sock hop, where this teenage girl tries to hook her up with Jason Bateman. Now, this is 87 Jason, teenage Jason Bateman. Oh, still famous. He was on Valerie and uh, uh, he was, you know, he was a teeny bopper, teen idol. Yeah, this is when he was still a heartthrob. Yeah, still well, People I mean, still find him attractive, he, but he was a heartthrob. He's still a gorgeous guy, but that's when yeah. he was like teen heartthrob material guy. Yeah. Uh, and yes, and you know Jason Bateman, Rested Development's Utopia, Teen Wolf 2, <laughs> the great Teen Wolf 2. So he's this like really you, you, shy guy. You might have and, seen Zootopia, but we know you've seen Teen Wolf 2. He's this really shy guy, and he starts having like Ming Goo Goo eyes, this older woman. And she's like, we can't go out. You're, I'm an older woman, and you're a young guy. And he's like, aw, man. So she goes back to her room to kill herself and then the teeny bopper comes back and says hey yeah all of this was just trying to get you to stop killing yourself because let me tell you something we all killed ourselves must have been one hell of a night we never really get into that <laughs> well, they're all they're all sock hoppers from the 50s so they all killed themselves at around the same time i just funny that they're all like there's a city somewhere that's like missing a whole generation and i'd love to see that movie <laughs> the, weird, the missing parallel kids. diversion of the majestic the uh uh and she just says, hey, listen, like, when you die, like, if you kill your... She doesn't specify if you kill yourself. She just says, when you die, uh-huh. you're cold and alone. And I'm like, maybe I, that's that sounds like a, like, like a nightmare situation to know for a fact that when you die, all it does is suck. Like, <laughs> just maybe you should specify if you kill yourself and like this and you live in this perpetual state of despair that also is kind of fucked up water through but a at the block, very water through a black space and then you bump into imaginary Mary coming the other way but like it's really dark actually like it's actually like I don't know if I would be like oh, I gotta live my life as best I can because when I die it'll be shit for eternity that's not necessarily the best lesson, but I, she takes it well. I, I got the idea that it was suicide specifically. It's like yeah. like in Beetlejuice. You kill yourself and you become a civil servant. For I would rather days, be so. the civil servant because at least there's company. I, I suppose so. You can commiserate, but <laughs> yeah. you're still working a miserable job forever. Yeah. I love that gag in Beetlejuice because it's this weird gag that pays off before it's set up, so you don't really get it the first time you watch it. Oh uh, yeah. The yeah. first time someone says, like, because everyone who works at, like, community service has, like, looks the way they look when they died. And they the have, receptionist is a, a dead beauty queen, yeah, who had, still dressed with her sash, yeah, who had cut her wrists, and she says that if I had known then what I know now, I wouldn't have had my little accident. And you have no idea what that means until like thirty minutes later in the movie when, when o- someone o- says, "Oso says when you kill yourself, you come back as a civil servant, or you, you in the afterlife you serve as a civil servant." Yeah, that is like you, and you're not even, and you're past that joke. You've missed it, so you have to see it the second time to fully appreciate it. That's <laughs> really brilliant writing. <laughs> you can't get away with that in anything else. Um, so anyway, she doesn't kill herself, and uh, oh, and it turns out that Greg Henry was Scooby doing them all the whole time and dressing yeah, as, Gloria, yeah. as Gloria Bates, and he's like chasing after them in a knife with a rubber mask, and he's like, "What are you gonna do? Tell the cops I was chasing after you with a knife and a rubber mask? That's stupid." And then Lori Petty shows up with a knife and a rubber mask, and she gets him to confess on tape, and so he gives them a better loan rate. <laughs> Again, I like to think Lori Petty just thought of that in the moment. 
We had to rewrite it because she's just a nut running around with a knife. Bless her. Bless her dearly. Bless her heart. And uh, uh, and then they, yeah, and that's it. Then the base motel is made up, by the way, it looks like some oh, shitty country way, western joint. Like, the, it does uh, not look good. The bobby socks are an additional wrinkle, I th- if I recall correctly, was... Like a version of herself from a parallel universe? It, no, it's not, because here's the thing. She's she plays a different character. Uh-huh. Uh she's played by uh Kristen Hage from Head of the Class and Cyborg 3 the Recycler. Um which is a great title. <laughs> Didn't know that one existed. Um jeez, oh, all right. But no, she's not. She just looks like her. I assume this was like oh, the thought... ghost of her younger self. Yeah. That's yeah. what makes sense. Because she's writing all these postcards about how I was queen of the sock hop. Mm-hmm. And then she's visited by a younger version of herself who reminds her of days gone by and why it's important to live and love again. And I know you've had three marriages, but the next one will be great. Blah, 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 blah. That makes sense. Instead, it's just a ghost who happens to look like her and have and lived had the same life as her at it the would, same time. It would be like if at the end of The Last Temptation of Christ, like Willem Dafoe was like visited by Graham Chapman from Life of Brian. It's like <laughs> you're not really that's not really me, but oh, it's close. So I see why it, there's a parallel. Hey Jesus, let me tell you about real stuff. Wait a minute, you're Brian. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't quite doesn't quite fit. And then the series ends with they've they've paid off the first part of the loan. It's going to be fine. Uh-huh. And Buck Henry. Like talks to the camera. It's like, uh, well, but, but you mean uh, Bud Court? Buck, you, you said Buck Henry. Uh, it's a different thing. <laughs> Buck Henry is not in this at all. What are My you apologies, about? Bud Court. I mean, Buck, Buck Henry's great and all, but but Bud Court says uh, to the camera, "Well, I guess that wraps everything up." Yeah, he t- he talks to the camera yeah. as it's pulling away, and he's kind of walking after it. Yeah, we've as got if the to, camera's trying to flee him. Yeah, okay, we've wrapped everything up. We cleaned up the motel. Everything's going to be fine. Lori Petty lives here now. Aces. Uh, <laughs> I look like I'm going to be okay, but why don't you come on down to the Bates Motel, where we are, and then there'll be future episodes. He says, "Come on Bye. down." It's like he says, "I don't know what you're going to find." Like this is the actual quote: "I know what you're going to find." But it makes the world go around. So he's either going to find love, or I've heard money makes the world go around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but laughter, yeah, it's, perhaps. But so here we are in 1987, and we've repurposed Psycho mm-hmm. as a feel-good nostalgia trip anthology mm-hmm. series. Yeah, sort of so like a Christmas are, Carol every yeah, week. People are going to be visited by ghosts of Christmas past. And they're going to be or future or, or, or future, and they're going to have a reckoning, and then mm-hmm. they're going to be inspired to live their lives well. But what's important now, is, is that not... Norman Bates died and left this hotel. <laughs> no, that's not how I felt at the end of watching Hitchcock's Psycho. <laughs> no, <laughs> which is a, like supposed to be grisly and like particularly horrific for a horror film of 1960. Yeah, Hitchcock shot that with his TV crew. He wanted it to look as like trashy as possible yeah. this is like the texas chainsaw of its day yeah in terms of its grittiness yeah even though compared to texas chainsaw it's as slick as could be but it's supposed sure. to be really kind of down and dirty it's it not a big color production yeah it was a lurid uh, pulpy experimental horror movie and in the sequels they got away from they they stayed with sort of the pulpy material but they got away from kind of the lurid uh Mm. Sort of nitty gritty of the the tone of it. Well, it, it could only once you've broken the mold Uh-oh. and you're stuck in the mold that you broke. <laughs> like that's the thing. Like they, they, you can only mess with people's expectations so much after the first time you break them. Yeah, you know. So the sequels just sort of became these odd character pieces. Mm. 
Um, but it, it's what wasn't until this pilot that we got essentially the Highlander two of the Psycho series. Oh, I don't even know this is the Highlander two. This is like the Halloween three, whereas <laughs> you're just sort of like, what? This feels like. It feels like to me that like someone on the Universal backlot said, "Look, we have the house, we have the Bates Motel. It's not making money for us just yeah, sitting there. People are just going by on the tram, and they're interested. But we, we let's shoot something there. There's got to be something we can do. It's still a movie set. Yeah, like okay, so we're the the but we got to stay out of the way of the movies. We're still making the sequels. There's got to be some other thing. Okay, I got it. We'll ask the Universal Soldier guy, and he'll come up with." People come and they're ghosts. And it's not even Norman Bates who's there. Like, that would make more sense if Norman Bates was there. Norman Bates' friend (laughs) deals with ghosts at the Bates Motel. You can't do that. Can you imagine if they did a James Bond? Imagine if they did, like, a 007 TV series, but it was about, like, a guy James Bond knew while he was training and now inherited James Bond's apartment and it's got ghosts. That's what they did. It was James Bond Jr., (laughs) Son Jr. makes more sense. <laughs> he was named for his uncle James. Also, his father James. <laughs> his uncle and his father had the same name. Because here's the thing. If this series had continued... Look, Alex, Willie, and Moses Gunn's character, whose name escapes me right now, Henry... Their stories are done. Who gives a shit? Like they're well, they're just the crypt keepers. They're now. good. They might they're, you'll have like a little romantic have no tension, drama but you, with them. you'll have a little romantic tension occasionally <laughs> with with uh, uh, Lori Petty and uh, Bud Court, and then we're done. What we do is we'll make, find out like Henry Watson cult. like knew some of the ghosts yeah. throughout the series, but we're done basically, right? No, it's it's an anthology show. They do the cold open, and oh no, we have to get that meatloaf ready. Oh look, I found a finger. Is that spooky? Oh look, here comes a guest. Show begins, but it's so it's so tempting to think that the show would have had them incorporated more because they're so important to the pilot. Like the pilot, like totally just forgets what the show's premise was going to be. <laughs> like it seems like it's a show about owning a motel and running a motel, but there's no ancillary drama. Willie will occasionally have auditions because she's an aspiring actress, and then there will be fucking ghosts. None of it's going to matter. <laughs> None of their drama is ever going to matter because there are fucking ghosts that are interacting with all the... And again, this is the creator of The Hitchhiker. So it's just this... They're just going to wander through the story while other people drive the action. And the premise is so absurd and so weirdly tangentially connected to something we already know that isn't this... That I can't imagine it working. The premise is fine for its own series. No, it wasn't. It was Nightmare Cafe. It didn't work out. Well, again, Nightmare Cafe would like had just Wes Craven's weird ideas. Also, it teleports. Also, they have these powers. You know, just he added all these weird details. Mm -hmm. Stationary Motel. Ghost of Christmas Past lives there, essentially. Yeah. Lost Souls come by. We learn their drama. It's an anthology series about redemption. That's fine. That's fine. You, you it's like an, Touched by an Angel, Highway to yeah. Heaven. They've done that. You could do an entire television series. You just take the Touched by an Angel or Highway to Heaven mold, uh-huh. and you do it, but it is literally the ghosts of Christmas, past, present, and future. Not always Christmas, <laughs> but there's three ghosts. One is past, present, one is Yeah, present, exactly. Future, and they have right? those personalities, or one is like super young uh-huh. and like encouraging, and one is like very party-hardy, and one is like very depressing, uh-huh. Eeyore-type ghost. <laughs> and they have a different adventure. Every- you could do that, like Quantum Leap, but with the ghosts from A Christmas Carol the rest of the year. That sounds good. That's a good show! <laughs> Holy shit! Do that show! And give us royalties, because I just made that up. <laughs> I did that just now. <laughs> 
I was in the room. I got to check, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm counting him in. Whitney, you're in uh, on this. Uh, you bet. Absolutely. Yeah, it was your idea to make it kind of like Highway to Heaven. <laughs> well, I, uh, just, uh, this is a good idea for a show, is my point. Yes. And that means How? you get a check. Why Why they? <laughs> sure, why not? Well, you want to drop me a check? I'll take it. Doesn't matter. Try, try to blackmail me. Sure. Try to bribe me. I don't care. I'll take your check. Wait, blackmail's the other way. Yes. Blackmail's I give them a check. Bribe me. I'll take your check. There you go. <laughs> Classy. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that they felt sort of obligated to turn Psycho into this. Now, this is the late 80s. This mm-hmm. is sort of the era of nostalgia, and we're sort of starting to... 50s nostalgia in A lot particular. of 50s nostalgia yeah. was go- around well, in the 1980s. Well, we had that since Happy Days, though. I mean, like, you're still... But it was just, still around. You, yeah. you look to any 80s film, and there's 50s greasers in it. You know, there's, yeah, there's well, a 50s, Back to the Future. There's a 50s greaser in A Nightmare on Elm Street. It well, makes no sense. Well, Stephen but, King's It was coming out around this time. That was about 50s nostalgia. A lot, yeah. of, the, a lot of the people who were finally growing up making movies, telling stories, they grew up in the 50s, and that's what they knew. So, well, also, I think, you know, this was during the Reagan era, so there was this big neoconservative movement, mm-hmm. and this uh, everything was better in the fifties. This, this yeah. sort of notion that everything was better in the fifties going throughout American culture. So we were both satirizing and glorifying it through our media. That's mm-hmm. the, that I think is why we saw a lot of that in the nineteen eighties. And to ter- take you know, so to take you know Bates something from the sixties, a horror film from the nineteen sixties, something that was really horrible that actually was very critical of the nineteen fifties in the time. Yeah. And set it in the 1980s and just to try to fold it into all of the things that were going on in the culture doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It undoes even more of the original than you think it does. Yeah. Because the original was trying to really goose the establishment. It was trying Mm. to shock you and, you know, rattle you out of your complacency. This is playful and silly and weird. Yeah, yeah. This this is... Is playing right into all of those warm feelings you had this about is, the 1950s. This is trying to make, well, Psycho was 1960, I think? Six, the, the, the book is the 50s. Fair and, enough. And production started in the but 50s. But regardless, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's trying to make Psycho palatable. You know, we have a protagonist who only has nice things to say about Norman Bates and how much of a wonderful <laughs> mentor Norman was and how. And not in a satirical way. No, either. genuine. Yeah. He's really. And the thing is, is that I will say this. Uh, Bud Cord is a good actor. Bud Cord sells this better than I can't imagine anyone could. But you know, I also watch this, and I think to myself, Bud Cord would have been a good Norman Bates. <laughs> Why not? I mean, I guess it's less expensive have... to make a contemporary. He's kind of young, but like still, you just update it, ignore the timeline. They're ignoring it anyway. Why Fuck not? It. Why not? Was Bates Motel canceled too soon? Oh goodness, no! <laughs> God damn this! This I mean, is a stupid movie. I, I, would like, TV I would like to think that like maybe there is a few good episodes in here. Maybe, maybe there could have been. Maybe I don't think it would have been idea. worth it to get to them. No. Yeah, this is available Just, on a, on like a burn on demand. It's also there's a like a DVD it's sequel a, set with Psycho like two, three, four, and this. Yeah. So you can get this pretty easily if you want to track this one down. Uh, and and if you're a fan of Psycho, if you're a fan of like weird horror, anything. It's worth watching for just how weird it is, but this is as much as we needed. I, I would actually recommend you watch this over some of the other Psycho sequels. It's not as slick, it's not as you know as scary or as mm. good technically as those other movies, but this one's far more interesting to watch just because it's so strange. So another that is another cancel too soon in the bag. Hooray! Well done, everybody. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, some letters we want to get through. We've had to uh, sort of. 
due to scheduling issues, the fact that we had guests, we haven't done letters in a little while. If you want to email us, uh, we are canceled too soon at gmail.com. That's canceled too soon with one L. Uh, and you can send us your suggestions. Uh, do you remember watching these shows? You want to share your memories of them? Uh, you want to send us your list of your favorite shows or shows that were canceled too soon or shows that were canceled too, uh, not soon enough? <laughs> Let us know as well. We'll tell you how canceled you are. Um, and uh, yeah, you can also find us on Twitter at cancelcast and uh, uh, let us know stuff there. And we're also on Patreon, patreon.com slash cancel too soon, where our subscribers get to vote for future episodes. We do one Patreon chosen episode per month. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have we exclusive do, content. We do like videos and stuff. We yeah. still need to schedule our Google Hangout for yeah, our $20 subscribers. We're going to do that real, real soon because we're behind on that. We yeah. should have done that a little while ago. Um, well, so pro- if you're prob- a, probably we're going to try to do it this month, I'll say. Oh, it. we'll do it this month. Yeah. Um, and uh, if so, if you're a Patreon subscriber, uh, keep an eye out. We'll be sending you messages and stuff. Uh, so yeah, yeah. there'll be Google Hangouts, there'll be videos, and the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie that we finally decided a winner of the poll. Oh. It's going to be the Langoliers, the TV miniseries <laughs> based on the Stephen King story. That will be a delight, I, I am sure. Was it close or was it? A it runaway? was super close. Oh, okay, it was super close. It was between the Langoliers, uh, Storm of the Century. And nightmares and dreamscapes, and Tommy Knocker is not far behind. This was a close one, but we had okay. to call it eventually. All right, so, so the we, Langoliers, it shall be. God damn it! All Hooray right. about the the big black tomatoes with teeth. All right, let's catch up on some right. letters. What do we got? Uh, here's a letter from Cecil. Uh, Hi guys, I'm listening to Game Over. Okay, this is during our UPN month. And I was wondering what are some good kids shows. My cousin is four, and I want him to watch anything other than Pepper Pig. I think it's Peppa Pig. I don't know what that is. It's a British cartoon series with a little piggy in it. Well, that's nice. I only know this because I have a toddler. <laughs> There's um, no salt pig, as far as I know. Uh, why do shows assume kids are stupid? The podcast my friend and I are doing is this Aussie nerds podcast, and we're trying to review lots of good kid movies and TV. Less Dora and more Madeline. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Cecil. Okay. Um, I mean, there's a lot. What do we got here? Well, what's, like, on right now? Um, Okay, well, there's Steven Universe is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, Star in the Forces of Evil is great. Um, Gravity Falls recently ended, but it's fantastic, and it's still great. It's still available. Uh, I'm a big fan of the current version of Danger Mouse. It's very funny. (laughs) Surprisingly funny. I really didn't think they'd capture the spirit of the original, but I think they mostly did. Uh, Voltron Legendary Defender might be a little old for that, but it's very good. It's another kid-friendly thing. Uh, Little Witch Academia is on Netflix right now. It's an anime series. It's like Harry Potter, but for uh, young women, and it is great. Uh, if you're interested in a more kid-friendly version of that, The Worst Witch is back on TV. Oh, really? Yeah, right. it's a new series. Uh, it is very cheap, but it is very charming, and it stars um, the... Oh, God, what's her name? There's this one character on Game of Thrones who's like a really badass queen of a, of some nation, but she's like eight years old. Nah. It stars her. It's oh, <laughs> like the worst okay. witch. And that's very, very cute right now. Uh, Julie's Green Room, starring Julie Andrews. As oh, a, right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, she, she owns... Seen ads for this one. Yeah, she owns like a theater <clears throat> and she teaches little kids and puppets the importance of like theater and how theater works. And it is charming as fuck. <laughs> and it is great. And I highly recommend that. What about you? I know the magic, little kid. What are you, what are you watching? I, I know the Magic School Bus is coming back. Well, I have, okay. a, little, I have a little kid, but he's two and a half. You know, he doesn't watch TV. Well, what are you lot, looking but, forward to showing to him? Um, uh, I don't know what's out there. I'm, I'm not really researching yet. But uh, the one he's really fond of is the Mister Men show. 
He likes yes. the Mister Men. Uh, the oh, there's like a newer Mister Men. Uh, well, they're, they're the Mister Men books, which you know, you know the Mister Men books. Mister Happy, Mister Tickle, Mister Messy. They were mm-hmm. all published in the the starting in the seventies, and this guy Roger Hargraves kept publishing them. There's hundreds of them now. Well, not hundreds, but there's, a lot. There's many of them. Yeah, dozens and. Uh, yeah, and the also in the seventies and eighties, they made these really like super duper cheap animated specials on British television, which are really relaxing. Yes, they are. I remember watching this. Oh yeah, yeah, well, yeah. the original ones. Yeah, and they were uh, cute. then in uh, Sanrio bought the Mister Men, mm. the uh, Hello Kitty people, and they put out the Mister Men show. Oh, wait, no, this actually Sanrio bought them out. The, in 2008, there was a new version called The Mr. Men Show, where they kind of updated the characters a little bit. And you can find segments of that on YouTube, and we watch those okay. with my son. I remembered another one that's on right now called Sarah and Duck. Sarah and a Duck. Yeah, it's about a little girl named Sarah and a duck. And they have adventures uh, with their narrator. <laughs> okay. <laughs> guides them through their little adventures. But it's just about them like muddling around the house doing like little mini adventures in the garden and stuff like that. And it doesn't I mean there's no high concept to it, but it's just charming. <laughs> it's so cute and so innocent and very funny. Like you can watch it as but, an adult. It there's nothing to it. It's just very relaxing. Not all shows need to be action oriented. No, it's but fun, some yeah. a lot of shows usually tend to have some sort of high concept. Yeah. Like you can wrap your head around it and like one thing, oh I see how that's a show. This is a little girl and her duck. But yeah. it is is cute, and I would highly recommend that. This what one comes got? from Bonnie. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, guys. My name is Bonnie, and I hail from Casper, Wyoming. Hello, Ooh. Casper, Wyoming. Uh, first, I just want to say congrats on your first Schmodown team match. This, oh, this, this was, was a little while A little while, yeah. while about. Okay. I think you guys can totally take the team tournament, and I can't wait to watch. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> we, we have already played our second match, and we, we only lost by one point. No, that so was close. Lose. That was a very high-scoring match. I still maintain that although we lost, and that is disappointing, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think we brought any shame upon ourselves there. I think, no, no, no. Yeah, I think uh, people expected a little bit more of us, but the other team really kicked ass. So Did, fuck, yeah. didn't, didn't you also challenge Leonard Malton to I on the did, but they, 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 he ended up playing someone else, and that okay. kind of pissed me off. Well, I, really wanted to, I really wanted to play Leonard Malton. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll play Leonard Malton. We'll yeah. be beaten into the ground. And again, no shame because it's Leonard freaking Malton. Yeah, Leonard Malton, actually. Leonard and Jesse Malton, the Malton uh, Falcons, a name I came up with. Uh, <laughs> they uh, they actually lost their first match. Really? It was, they did very respectably, okay. but they also lost. So it just it goes to show you that... On even that, if, on even the, if you're Leonard Malton. Even, yeah, it's, just, it, it's all just... Did you happen to see that? Oh, you didn't? Ah, uh, you didn't see mm. the one movie you should have seen. Like, it's always just like... Or like, oh, you forgot... The name of what musical instrument did the brother and Welcome to the Dollhouse play? I don't fucking remember. <laughs> I didn't think that was important to know. I guess it's called trivia for a reason. Anyway, we're, we're getting off track. Right. Uh, she says, secondly, I wanted to give my condolences on the loss of the B-Movies podcast. Yeah. I discovered both that one and Cancel Too Soon when Bibbs appeared on the Schmoes No in a couple, a couple months ago. So I came into them pretty late. I'm still trying to get caught up on all the B-Movies podcasts before Ooh. they take it down. Uh, I'm not sure if they'll take it down. Surely they'll just leave them up for a uh, while. For a while. You should have some time, uh, I think. Yeah. They, they'll, mm-hmm. they won't be there forever, though. That's true. Yeah. Uh, well, you know what? I have them all on MP3 format. There you so go. I can always send them to you if, if it comes to that. Mm-hmm. It's such an entertaining podcast, and I'm super bummed to see it go. Okay, last but certainly not least, I happened to randomly find a link to the full series of Profit Online last there you week. Go. And boy, I had no idea what I was in for. LOL. <laughs> I was so enraptured by the gleefully scandalous plot and the myriad of morally devoid characters that I completely lost track of time and almost missed work that day. Wow. Luckily, I was able to tear myself away and I was only a few minutes late. After finishing the show, I completely understand Bibbs' Bibbs' fondness for the show. 
and Adrian Pazdar is my new hero. <laughs> I think Profit would thrive in today's TV climate, but I totally understand why it was ahead of its time for 1996. I think it's fair. Yeah. I'm so glad I watched every minute of the sinfully delicious de- delicious debauchery, and I've been spending, spreading the word among my friends and fellow TV nerds. Also, I have to say, I don't totally agree with Whitney about You Don't Know Jack. I was a huge fan of the CD-ROMs. I was super amped when I heard it was becoming a TV show and very disappointed when it didn't live up to all of the simple and brilliant irreverence of the original game. Um, I think I actually liked that one more than you did. Yeah. So I, I think you actually... I was actually I think, down on that I one. think you actually disagree with me on that one, but fair enough. Yeah. I still thought it was funny. Uh, one last question. Have you considered covering Exit 57? I know it's considered a classic, but it only lasted 12 episodes. I know many people, myself included, believe it was canceled way too soon, and I think it deserves to be covered. Uh, you know what? That really isn't something that's come up before. That's our first uh, first request for I Exit 57. I think it is, yeah. yeah. One second. Let me, let me look this up, make sure it's what I think it Thank is. Thank you for providing me with hours and hours of premium entertainment. I truly appreciate it. Bonnie. Well, thank you for writing in, Bonnie. Oh, yeah, it was a sketch comedy series with Stephen Colbert. Uh, yeah, that's actually the first request we've had for Exit 57, so we'll okay. have to put that on the list. Uh, here's one from Hayden. Okay. Hello, Hayden. Uh, hello, with the upcoming It film, uh, upcoming, this yeah. is... <laughs> We're catching up. We're catching up right now. So, with the new It film, I would like to know, what are your thoughts on the 1990 TV miniseries TV movie? As for someone who hasn't seen it, I doubt it will live up to the sometimes flawed but overall great craziness that is it, the, the book. Mm. Also, what are your favorite and least favorite Stephen King miniseries? I think that's a genre unto itself. It oh, is. Well, that's well. why we're doing it as a Can't Do Monthly Movie. Yeah. Uh, okay, real fast. Uh, so it came out. Oh. Um, I liked it a lot. I think the, the movie was pretty great. And no, you weren't quite as high on it. Uh, the, I think the the new movie feels very rushed. I think really uh, there's a lot. I think the characters aren't real. Like they're it takes a long time to flesh out the characters. Like yeah, that, that's why I don't think it feels rushed. Uh, well, <laughs> like it doesn't establish who the characters are until like really late in the movie, and by then it's like I don't really care as much as I perhaps should. I dramatically disagree fates. with you about that, but okay. Uh, what it's really good at is providing like a kind of like haunted house Halloween-y type boo scares with a lot mm. of really really loud banging noises. It's really scary. That are, that are, well, it's it's scary in sort of a crowd environment. It's That's why I pronounced it scary. In, it's a good thing for seeing like in a crowded theater. Um, but on its own, like the design of the clown, it's isn't scary. A lot isn't explained, and uh, I think it's just sort of this shabby mishmash of some cool stuff that doesn't really fit together very well. Well, I disagree with you on that. I think uh, I think the clown is scary. Um, well, the, I think they do a better job with the characters and you're giving them credit for. I thought they were all introduced pretty elegantly right off the bat. Um, well, they were each and, given one personality trait. Well, I mean, it's an ensemble film that happens yeah. a lot. Most You can boil most Star Trek shows down to one personality trait per character, well, too. I, but you don't need boiling down for these ones. They only have one personality trait. <laughs> anyway, um, we're, we're getting into semantics here. I, I thought it was great when he did not. Uh, the, I rewatched the original miniseries in preparation for the movie, uh, and I was pleasantly surprised to see that certain elements were hold up and disappointed to see that some don't. Uh, the young cast was actually really, really, really good. Especially, um, uh, is it Jonathan Brandis? Jonathan Brandis. He's yeah. great. He was in that great. movie, he's really good. Very good actor. It's Jonathan such a Brandis. shame that it, that he's no longer with us. Yeah. Um, so that was awesome. Uh, I think Elizabeth is Emily Perkins played Bev in the younger yeah. version. She would go on to star in Ginger Snatch, one of my favorite horror movies. Um, that was all great. Tim Burton. Uh, Tim Burton. Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Wow. <laughs> well, Tim Curry is good as Pennywise, but I got to tell you, he's very. Um, 
the I I, I kind of prefer the way he handled it in the movie because they had more options. Really, and to, oh, I think geez. so. All I right. think the way that uh, they managed to, I think it's I think it's budgetary mostly. Uh-huh. They were able to use that character in unexpected ways. More so than most of what happens with him in the miniseries. Well, There's but, good stuff in the miniseries when his face peels off, or when he like st- comes out of like a drain and stretches it out, and uh, it's all claymation. The, all that stuff is really, really cool. And certainly, Tim Curry is doing a bang up job. But I think I prefer the way the movie plays it. I also prefer the way the movie simply bifurcates the story. The miniseries cuts between the present day and the past uh, which a lot, is, which is what the book did. But fair yeah. enough, but like I think. What it does, I actually think it detracts a bit. I think it hides just how little they had to work with in the second half. And I know they kind of lost stuff out of the book Uh to make it into a framing device as opposed to like a a two-part story. But I think think the movie has more potential to work when the second half comes out because they'll have that freedom to just let both stories play as individual elements. Uh, I I like Tim Curry much better in the original because you get the feeling that it's actually this creature that has like a a motivation and character and is an actual being you can talk to. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the movie, it was just sort of, it was just a monster. It could have been anything. Mm. And that they designed it to look like a Halloween clown made it look less scary. Clowns are scary because they look like clowns, not because they look like monsters. Hmm. They look like greasy psychopaths. That's what makes clowns scary. And I think that Tim Curry looks like a clown and not like a monster makes him more frightening. Like, there's there's more, more of a threat to something that doesn't look quite threatening. The clown in the new one looks like something out of Hall- Universal's Halloween Horror Nights. Mm-hmm. It has this elongated head and these scary makeup. It, it doesn't look like it could pass for a clown. Well, that's because usually when you're looking at it, it's scary. But it also does have times when it's not. And it's actually trying to like... When? It's, it's only, right only ever scary. <laughs> it's because you're scared of it. That's because it's a scary monster and it worked. The... Uh, the one thing that I think, and I was watching this with Michelle, who'd never seen the miniseries before. Oh. Um, we watched uh, the miniseries, and then she saw the movie, and she was kind of disappointed in the movie that they took out an element of uh, the children like creating a mythology yeah, that yeah. existed because they believed in it, the idea that silver would work on it. Why? Because silver works on monsters. We've all seen movies. Yeah, that, that was... That was that's something some, that's really absent from the and movie, I, and like. I think that's abs- I think that I think that does make a difference. I think it would have been better uh-huh. to have that element of eh, childlike wonder a little bit, um, and also give them that sense of empowerment. Because honestly, uh, in the new movie, they just beat him with sticks. Yeah, like it, just, it just doesn't really. Bat. I, just, I don't really like. I know there's a sequel. I know he comes back, but at the same time, I'm not sure I'd be convinced if I were those kids that that that, that worked. I actually, beat that thing. Yeah. So uh, also, there's this whole theme in the miniseries and in the book that the, there's a lot of kids disappearing, and that it's really affecting the town. Mm. And they talk about how it's affecting the town, but we don't get to see the town or other like, characters. We don't really get any sort of sense that the town is somehow deteriorating. There's no like montage about kids vanishing. There's like mm. one shot of them peeling a poster off and there's another poster underneath. And that's all we really get. I think there's a little bit more. We than don't that. see what, how these children disappearing is affecting the town at large. Uh, yeah, there's this whole element about they just sort of beat it up. And there's a lot of really bad editing in the movie as well. Like mm. there's a scene early on uh, where, a uh, child wanders past a scary painting that he's afraid of. He doesn't want to look at it because it's terrifying. It looks scary to him. Yeah. And then he looks back and the figure in the painting is missing and he turns around and the figure's in the room with him. And yeah, it's really scary. That's really, scary. That's, that's really scary. And then they cut to another scene 
And then he re-enters this, like, a few scenes later. Wh- what happened to him? Did he attack? Did he tell anybody? Was was he hurt by this creature? Did he just see it? Did well, it go back in the painting? That's something that I think and is actually... At the end, they say something like, oh, they see, like, all these bodies floating around a big spire. And it's like, oh, look, and now they're floating down. And what what ha- Are they dead? Are they alive? Do we, that what I happened would, there? You I know, feel like they should have told someone about that. We found a lot of bodies. There's a, a lot where they just sort of cut away at this dramatic moment. Well, but we never deal with the ramifications of what the, happened in the, the scene. The thing that bothers that doesn't really bother me but when i was watching it i'm just like they're overplaying their hand uh the big chunk in the new movie is them just in the middle every child needs at least one scene where they see pennywise they're all alone pennywise scares them and it's scary and they manage to vary it but at the same time it gets a little repetitive because it's a big cast everyone's got (laughs) to have this moment except for like the one kid who's like big scary thing is clown so he has his like late in the game and you can tell they like move that late in the game because we have to get this fucking movie going. <laughs> it's two and a half hours long. They're still fucking dealing with like I know they all need to individually have it, it, see Pennywise oh. so that they can have their fears exploited and that can pay off later and also uh, so that um, you know when someone finally says I've been seeing a clown they all go me too yeah, yeah, and yeah. so they all believe each other okay. It gets, and it's just a sort of thing that's sort of baked into the premise. It's a flaw that they're stuck with. So I don't really detract so, too many points well, from it. But you like, can it's get away there. with an eleven hundred page novel yeah. that you can't really do in film format. I think the film's a big mess. It, it, kind, I, of, it kind of teeters around a lot. I think it's great, but uh, uh, I think there's a lot of things I like in the miniseries more. But I think the movie plays a little better overall. Okay. Yeah. Another letter. Yeah. yeah keep right. going. We got to uh, do at this, least a few more. This of comes these. from Doug. Hi guys. Hi. I do enjoy your show, but I have to play Woody Allen on your You Don't Know Jack episode. Oh, this is about Marshall McLuhan, isn't oh, it? God. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, McLuhan defined hot and cool media in terms of their form, not their content. Hot media are high definition, usually focus on one scene and deny participation. Cool media are low definition and invite participation. Films were hot, TV was cool. I got that backwards. You did. <laughs> Why? Well, when McLuhan wrote Understanding Media in the early 1960s, he was probably watching an eight or 20, 18 or 20-inch black-and-white TV where images were made up of thousands of pixels. He said that to understand TV, your mind had to join together the pixels into an image. In addition, mm-hmm. he had to turn a dial to choose the channel of his choice, adjust the volume, brightness, contrast, and in some cases focus the channel to get rid of distortion lines. At the movies, you paid your ticket and sat down. You had no control over the sound and images. Mm. That was... That show... Uh, that the show was on TV didn't matter to McLuhan very much. And Bibbs is right. He's not boring, at least compared to 90% of the other stuff found in media courses. Uh, that's a good point. I think it's something people forget uh, a lot when they talk about Marshall McLuhan is that the technology was so dramatically different yeah, when he was talking yeah. about it. And it might be time to revisit some of those ideas now that some of the practical uh, applications are, are wildly different. I, I remember uh, writing an essay about the Knox riots. Do you mm. know the, the Knox riots ho- uh, uh, no. hoax? No, actually, no. Uh, this uh, this was long before War of the Worlds, but uh, an impish uh, British minister who would uh, he gave uh, religious lectures, but in kind of a, a snarky sort of way, uh, decided to make fun of the medium of radio and interrupt a music program with words of riots in the streets of London and how people were blowing up buildings and hanging people from yard arms. And uh, the joke was, of course, at the end of the riot, they all go to the radio station and they just wait in the waiting room. <laughs> mm. Just sort of hang out there. And 
you think, well, this is silly. You'd certainly you'd hear the booming outside, and you're listening to the radio in your car. This was actually before radios were in cars. Mm. This was when people had to listen to radios at home, usually on headphones. Mm. So people are sitting at home listening to this on their headphones. They're having this very intimate experience, and it's much more vivid due to the technology. To perp- uh, and it's easier to perpetrate these sorts of hoaxes because you have this sort of you're dealing with this intimate technology. Yeah. I think the same is true of War of the Worlds. He was like, well, clearly this can't be true. You could substantiate this. Well, no, you couldn't necessarily. You can't jump on your phone and check it with you know, CNN. Yeah, you're just there isolated. Like, you might be not even in a community. Yeah, you're you probably, can, you're, you might be far away, getting some far away s- signal from some yeah. distant station. It's just you alone in a house wondering for, if it was and, true. And yeah, if, if all you ever get from the radio is the truth, of course the alien invasion is true. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, what do we got? Uh, this one comes from Chaz. Hi, Chaz. Hi. Uh, hello, Bibbs and Whitney. I thought it would be cool to do an episode from the Cancel 2 sued series Dragon's Lair. Oh, actually, we've been trying to look yeah. at We've been trying to find that one, uh, yeah. 84 to 85, 13 episodes. is based on the video game that featured, uh, featured in the upcoming Stranger Things 2 season. Oh, God. And my childhood nightmares. <laughs> that, game, uh, that game was brutal. I never got past that. I, More than the first couple of stages I, of that I game. I got past the first screen once. Yeah. And that was after try after, like, I was okay. devoted to Dragon's Lair. Is, is there more to it? Is there more there's to the letter? Little, okay, little finish little the letter and we'll talk about yeah. Dragon's Lair for a second. Uh, just as D&D set the backdrop for season one, Dragon's Lair will be the focus for season two. I love Cancel Too Soon. I'm looking forward to the new version of the B-Movies podcast. Okay, so... Uh, so are we. Yeah, uh, yeah, and actually, hopefully we'll have some actual news about that pretty soon. We cleared up... Uh, one of the X factors that was getting in our way. So we'll be able to start moving on that. Um, so Dragon's Lair was a video game uh, created by Don Bluth. That's right. Which was fully animated. And this was it was the most gorgeous arcade game you'd ever seen because it was just looked like a Don Bluth movie come to life. Because it, it was the late 80, I think it was like 86 or 87. No, this came it like, out, or? no it was like 84. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. it was pretty early. Um, but yeah, it, this was, you know, I'll look it up. Uh, yeah, the NES was maybe just around the corner, and... Mm -hmm. This was just astounding. Video game graphics weren't, even in the arcades, weren't terribly sophisticated at the time, and this looked like a cartoon film that you could control. And what happened is a pre-animated sequence would play, and... 83 was the original 83, wow. And uh, on the screen, a little yellow light would blink, and you would have to direct the character as quickly as you possibly could... Like, within a split second, uh-huh. toward just the right blinking light. Sometimes there were multiples. Yeah. Uh-huh. Also, and they want, it wasn't always 100% clear how you were supposed to do that. Is It's down and to the right. Do you put right? Do you put down? Both? Sometimes you had to fucking guess and you were wrong. <laughs> even though you knew exactly what you were supposed to do and you did it in the right amount of time. And you, you asshole of a game. And, 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 another thing that sucked about it. <laughs> does this piss me off? Okay. So, how video games used to work more than they do today is that you would encounter a challenge, you'd figure out how to beat that challenge through timing or careful jumping or or, or something, and then the next time you had to run through that level, you knew that bit and you can move on. Dragon's Lair mixed up the timeline every single time. So like the first stage was always the same, but then once you actually got inside the castle and shit, it was always different. It was a like different order every time. And so you couldn't memorize it, and so every single time you dropped in a quarter, it was something completely new. You had no idea what the fuck to do. You died, and it was a waste of time. Fuck you, Dragon's Lair. But they did do an animated series, and what they tried to do was... Um, 
in the just before the commercial break, there'd always be this big cliffhanger, and it would always be like, ah, how will the knight get out of this? Will he jump over the alligators? Will he try to climb the tree? Or will he blah? And at the end of the when the, we came back from the commercials, you'd find out that if two of those would have killed him, uh-huh. one of them would have been fine. <laughs> that was the so that was the game, just like in the game, because you yeah. died all the time in the game when yeah. I fold that into the series. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's that's available. Every time I try to find it, it's actually weirdly expensive. So we are looking for it though. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have the Dragon's Lair for NES. Oh. They actually made an eight bit version. Wasn't it, but it was it was like a, a, like a side scroller, someone. It was a side scroller. Yeah, but it wasn't the same game. To try to emulate the animation style of the arcade game, they just tried to give it much smoother, more human animation. So the character was huge. It was almost the whole full size yeah, of the screen. Yeah, it was weird. I remember that. And he was really difficult to to control. Like you hit down, and you actually like this complex animation for him to get down on his knees. It wasn't like in Mario, where you just sort of shrink a little. Mm-hmm. And so to walk, you had to like lumber forward with all these different buttons controls and to jump it was it was like the most complicated thing in the world and just like the arcade game you could never get past the first screen no anyway it had a it had a video game sequel it had a spin-off called space ace which was the same thing but sci-fi they look gorgeous and you can like watch playthroughs of them online to see how cool they are Uh-oh. playing them sucked <laughs> playing them always sucked. i never got very far yeah. It's like, ah, screw this. I'm playing Gauntlet again. There you go. What's next? Uh, this one comes from Canadian Keith. Okay. Hello, Canadian Keith. After listening to your Danger Theater episode, which included Adam West's third canceled too soon appearance in a starring role, I did a quick check to find out what other failing stuff he's been in. It looks like his fourth and final live action starring role was in a forgotten TV series from 1995 called The Clinic. Oh. All, I don't know that one. All five episodes aired on August 24th. Oh, my God. From 7 to 9.30 on Comedy Central. Aww. If you guys can track it down, I'd love to hear you finish the quadfecta. Uh, besides that, that, he down. also voiced Batman in a bunch of animated shows uh, from the 70s and 80s. Oops. All that lasted one season, as well as the 1998 animated series called The Secret Files of the Spy Dogs. Nice. But The Clinic is the important one. So <laughs> we're going to put that on the list. We will the put clinic. it on the list. Uh, right, here's, one, here's one from Adam, and the title of the letter is Cancelled Too Soon Mailbag Number 7. Ah. Uh, Dear Bibbs and Whitney, this time I'm writing you with a different story, one about a TV stu- uh, series that was given two seasons but wasn't cancelled soon enough. <laughs> In my previous letters, I mentioned watching horrible discount American TV shows that the early Polish commercial TV stations would buy because they drastically needed to fill the time slots. Another one that I recall is Good Morning Miami. Mm. It was a sitcom about a guy who was offered a job running a morning show that he decided to take to only to woo a co-worker in whom he fell in love with at first sight. I remember this show because it was actually depressive on various levels. It was basically watch someone slowly die. <laughs> the show was literally <laughs> decaying with every episode. By the second <laughs> season, the characters would suddenly disappear and never come back with any explanation. <laughs> Whole storylines would be dropped unresolved except for the main one. I have no idea how the show lasted for two complete seasons and wasn't canceled earlier. Oh, and spoiler, in the end, the main hero comes to a realization that the girl he was supposed to be, that was supposed to be the love of his life, was actually not. He saw her like this angelic being, but she turned out to be pretty boring and far from perfect. (laughs) So he dumps her and leaves Miami in the final episode. Classy. Even at the time, I appreciated this quite realistic approach to relationships since even pretty girls poop. But but damn, does it sound like the most depressing comedy series or what? That doesn't sound good. Yeah, doesn't sound like a good one. Sounds pretty terrible. I love the decaying from inside makes me interested, but... uh, I don't want to end on a down note, so here are some requests for other discount series that I also grew up watching and only did last one season. Number okay. one, Teen Angel. Oh, yeah, Teen Angel. 
Lasted 17 episodes. The synopsis is a teenager dies after eating an old burger for real, goes to heaven, meets God, God's cousin, Rod, <laughs> and becomes a guardian angel. So it's basically Sabrina, the teenage mother. Hello, Whitney. But with dudes and angels instead of girls and witches. Fun fact. Guess guess what comes up when you try to Google Teen Angel? Yep, so much porn. Ah. Anyway, 16 episodes are available right now on YouTube. Okay. And Deadly Games, 1995. Oh, we really wanted to find Deadly yeah. Games for UPN Month. That was <laughs> we were important look, we were to me. For Deadly I games. sent people on missions to conventions to try to track it down. <laughs> and people were just like, you have whoever whoever your fr- they would ask people who specialize in old and hard to find shows, oh. like say, hey, you have Deadly Games, and they're like, whoever you're you're buying this for is weird taste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he describes it. He says this one actually had a solid pedigree. As Leonard Nimoy was an executive producer and creative consultant on it. I actually remember this show being quite fun, but hell, it's an over 20-year-old show about a computer game boss coming to life to take over the real world, so who knows? Mm. Anyway, it ran for 13 episodes, but you might argue that it was not canceled too soon, as they do defeat the main boss, played by Christopher Lloyd, in the last episode, thus wrapping up the story nicely. Spoilers! It's a canceled show from 95. It can't spoil it. It can't spoil it if it was never ripe. (laughs) On the other hand, I don't think not having a second season was an artistic decision made by the show's creator as it would contradict his vision. By the way, you can also find that whole series on YouTube. So, ah, really? Okay. We can find it. All right. What else we got? Uh, let's see. This one comes from Anthony. Hello, Anthony. Hey, Bibbs and Whitney. I was listening to the podcast the other day, namely the Danger Theater episode, where he talked about Walker, Texas Ranger and how nobody watched it. I watched, like, five seasons of it, and I love it. <laughs> okay. It's so wrongheaded. The episode about the psychic boy is amazing. Oh, so you only, wa- only watched five of its 28 seasons. <laughs> Thought you were yeah. a fan. I think it lasted nine years. It lasted a long ass time, yeah. I still owe you a copy of Reanimated and the subsequent series Out of Jimmy's Head. This dates back to an email I sent, uh, sent which you read uh, when you did Doubt. But I have no idea how to send it to you. Does it fall on your wish list or can I send it to you at a local post office or something? We'll be in touch. We'll be in touch. I also forgot to explain that the show, what the show is about. Essentially, it's about a boy who gets a brain transplant of a famous cartoonist similar to Walt Disney and sees the creations as a kind of imaginary friends and shenanigans ensue, namely Sonny Appleday, who wants the brain kid to take over the world. Oh, and it's live action, but animated like Roger Rabbit. The episodes are on YouTube. I'll put a link at the bottom. There's a link what there. The fuck? Love you guys, love the commentary, and you're giving me a lot of inspiration <laughs> working on a bolt-action tournament army at the moment, and you're helping me to fight the monotony of painting. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Anthony. What's uh, next? Da, 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 da. This one comes from... Topher White the Elder. Oh, hi. Uh, every year, I find a show that makes me tear up almost every episode. For years, it was Extreme Makeover Home Edition. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Last year, it was Pure Genius. And in the off-season, almost every episode of So You Think You Can Dance has had a performance that is so sad and beautiful as to make my heart ache, usually choreographed by Travis Wall. Okay. Doctor Who does a great job of being a Monster of the Week show until it unexpectedly kicks you in the gut. That's true. I find it wonderful and cathartic to have something to play with my heartstrings, even if it is blatantly manipulative. <laughs> as so many of those game shows are, they uh, really ratchet up the drama. They, but they're things. doing it on purpose. They're doing it my for a question reason. is, do you ever seek out shows that you know are going to pull on your emotions for the sheer pleasure of having your heart broken? No. 
<laughs> I do not. I do not enjoy having my heart broken uh, because it breaks my heart every time. Uh, but there are a lot of shows I like that do do that. Mm. And it's usually because they do other stuff as well. And Doctor Who is a great example of that. Mm. I've lost track of how many times I've cried openly <clears throat> just watching Doctor Who just because it snuck up on you and really nailed it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. No, I'm mm. trying to think of the last show I watched. I guess Sweet Vicious, actually, I guess, made me cry. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Um, I, I've been catching bits and pieces of This Is Us. I hear that's wife. really she, good. She watches the show, and it's pretty. It's good in that. Yeah, uh, they're really trying to drop emotional bombs on you. That's like the one. I've, that's the like heartbreaker show. I really want to try because everyone I know who watches it doesn't just watch it. They fucking live and die by it. <laughs> so at some point, I'm definitely going to check that out. I okay. hear it's really good. Uh, well, another letter? Yeah, or, okay. let's do one or two more. All okay. right. Because we got a lot of catching up. Uh, we, got, we do have a lot of catching up. Are we? Up we're in do. September now. At we're least, in September. Right? Now. Okay, good. So this is this is from Bob the Love Goat. Okay. Uh, good day, gentlemen. Good day, Bob. Brian is no more. He ate some cream corn, and now is the personal foot massager of the firemen. Long live Bob the Love Goat. Okay. Um, the spotted cuckoo is flying backwards. Meet me at the park. It's a cold day for pontooning. <laughs> it sounds like some sort of spy code he just gave us. First up, I have remained in the shadows for some time now, but I can rise up and challenge Lady Knight the Brave and Canadian Keith to a duel. <laughs> Game on. Next, what the hell happened on the ultimate schmodown? When is your next match so you can totally redeem yourselves? It's fun that we can construct a narrative in our letters as we yeah. go forward. Uh, yeah, again, we lost by one point. One freaking point. If we had both known that James Stewart was in American Tale, Fievel Goes West, then we, we would have won. 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 That's, if, that just, was really close. One of us, yeah, I guess if both of us had known that. Yeah, it's it came super close. Uh, what happened was uh, we lost fair and square. Well, I, I think uh, there was like one of those Hitchcock questions where we probably should have talked it out a bit more. Maybe, you know, we, we were bit. feeling we were a little cocky. I think we probably should have thought it out. Maybe I think we probably would have gotten the man who was, who knew too much Yeah, uh, if we'd thought it out a bit more. Hmm. But um, yeah, what are you going to do? No, what we, are you gonna do? Yeah, I, I don't feel too bad about that loss because that was still uh, uh, we were, that we, was close. We weren't trounced, and it wasn't all stuff that we ought to have known. Yeah, there are a couple of so. singles losses uh, that I've gone through <laughs> that are pretty embarrassing. That I'm like, ah, okay, that one's on me. But, I think we did okay. They were just they wanted it more. I think they yeah. were a little bit better than us that time. <laughs> they were a good team. Uh, uh, and in final news, Whitney, you have seriously disappointed me. <gasps> I throw myself out there and explain my love for Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, and you never sent me the kitchen appliance photo as promised. Dude, this is this is that's uh, old. That's dating, a long dating back time ago. several years. Yeah, uh, I said I would send if somebody could do that. I'd send them a picture of a kitchen appliance. And you fit you doing that, that today? I'm gonna do that today. You're gonna do when you go home now. You are gonna do that. I'll do that. Okay, um, I, promise. I, I, I apologize, Mister the Love Goat. Promise now. I promise. Okay, I will send you a picture. Okay, today. Uh, I don't. I don't mean to disappoint you. It is currently October fourth. He says you must pay your debt, sir. <laughs> Interest has accrued now. Oh shit! New, two two appliances. New new payment in the form of an essay or commentary track for the 2006 gem Yeti: A Love Story. No, you'll get two pictures. Your of other appliance. option is to record a commentary for the Ultimate Edition of Batman v Superman, which we have. We done. did that. We've Done. Did, we did it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You go over to the Sofa Dogs podcast. Okay. You can. Uh, uh, it, it's not through the B Movies podcast. We had to team had to team up with uh, John Pavlich, mm -hmm. the great the, John Pavlich of the great the Sofa Dog, Dogs podcast, and we recorded that commentary yeah, track like for all three hours of it. Yeah. So, 
And it was not yeah, it was yeah. not an easy thing for us. So you enjoyed that. We get two hours in, and like all three of us are like, guys, there's another hour in this movie. Oh We're just God. all kind of moaning and wailing for yeah. the last hour. But there's a lot of commentary, uh, and we talk a lot about why that movie doesn't work for us for the yep. most part. Yeah. And some things that do work. It's not a complete waste, but like it's it's we're we're critical of it, and we have reasons, and you'll hear why for three <laughs> fucking hours. It's good so, for a long drive, I guess. So that's been taken care of. All right. Okay. Okay. Still on the appliance picture. Let's get down to business. Oh, we still haven't gotten to it yet. Okay. My first letter to you on the B Movies podcast, I explained how I enjoy that your podcast gave me something to bond with, like my family members and friends have with sports. Listening to your pitch episode was priceless. Hearing you talk about sports as two non fans was hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Here's a couple notes. Draft day, or the draft, is when teams sign amateur players, specifically high school or college players, typically high school or college players. Free agents Mm -hmm. are players who were part of the league at one point, then for one reason or another chose not to sign with a team. They can then sign at any time with a team. This has nothing to do with drafting players. Didn't know that. Uh, I think we we were describing the movie Draft Day, and we were using it sort of to give people an idea of how, like, the trading system felt – but we kind of conf- got well, confused and started calling them the same thing. I, I learned about draft day from the movie Draft Day, so yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not well educated. In but you're educating us right now. There's no, yeah, there's no okay. excuse. I'm just trying and to explain also, what happened. The trade deadline uh-huh. is the point in the season when you can no longer trade players. It also has nothing to do with drafting players. That's that's the thing. Okay. We confuse it because the episode plays like the movie Draft Day, but it wasn't about drafting. Okay, that's what we so, were getting yeah. at. Uh, that is all, all some useless knowledge in my brain from back when I used to pretend to follow sports. And it would probably make pitch b- better or worse, but I figured it might help you two if another sports film slash show comes around. It's good to know these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in high school, I was, you know, that snarky jerk who said, oh, pff, football, stupid sports ball. I'm not, never going to follow that idiotic thing. I'm going to mm-hmm. go over here and read Spider-Man comics. Yeah. That's so much better. Uh, and I've come to come to accept that a great number of people on this country and in this pl- on this planet do follow sports and are very passionate about it and how it is visceral and exciting to watch and it's an important part of our culture i'm not going to be a dick about it anymore yeah i was there've been a time when i've been a dick about it and i regret that because i was <laughs> but it was outside of my sphere of uh, experience yeah. and uh, but, i knew a lot of people who were mean to me because of my lack of knowledge about sports and i was bitter about that oh, uh, they do not represent the sporting community <laughs> a lot of the sporting community is pretty great a lot of them are um, just like with any community a lot of them are also jerks but like so, what are you going to do and, uh, a lot of the movie community is jerks. What are we supposed I, to do about I, that? I'm also not going to be that jerk who flaunts his ignorance about sports. Yeah. Like, hey, what do you know about football? I don't know anything about football. That makes me better. It's like, no, just it means you don't know that. Means shit. You don't know that. Just say yeah. you don't know. It's OK. Yeah, there's a lot. I really wish I could go back in time to me when I was like a younger, especially when I was a younger critic uh-huh. and just be like, you scale that back. Your passion is misplaced. <laughs> so but Whoa. this is good. We're, we're allowed to uh, uh, hopefully we're allowed to evolve and to say like now that we're older and a little wiser and hopefully we'll get wiser still uh, uh, to hopefully tell people who are younger and getting their start or, or in any stage of life really to uh, calm the fuck down <laughs> basically and thank you for telling us about all the sports stuff that we did not know because we're just not sports guys here's something Alonso Duralde has said that I, I think is very, uh, very true mm. he says you spend your 20s being completely embarrassed of what you did as a teenager you spend your 30s being completely embarrassed about what you did in your 20s. Yeah. I, I think in your 40s, it doesn't work out quite so well. It starts to calm down a little bit. I would hope we'll so. We'll see. See how embarrassed I am about my 30s once I turn 40. All right. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, huge fan of the show that really looking forward to your new movies podcast, which we uh, were starting to have some big discussions about. Yeah. Soon, so uh, the whole left by the fall of the movies podcast is deep, but I know you guys can fill it and then some may I suggest a Patreon tier where we can make a donation to get you to discuss, review, blog, comment on, et cetera, about films of the donor's choice. Yeah, that's not bad. You can't, you can't get there from here. Bob, the love goat from the deep woods of Maine. Hmm. Thank you, Bob, the love goat. Yeah, no worries. And, and for schooling us on sporting events. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, let's do one more. One more. Last okay. one for today. Last one for today. This one comes from Cat, the, oh, the half American Brit. Oh, hi, Cat. Uh, hi, guys. I decided to binge the show Pitch before listening to your review. I'm glad I did because it's fun, if not the sort of thing I would have watched otherwise. However, in episode six, I realized I was more interested and invested in Mike Lawson's struggle than the, uh, and the storyline than I was in Ginny's. Mike, that's the Mark Paul Gosselaar character. Yeah, well, that's that's a lot of people's experience with Pitch is that they really fell in love with Mike Lawson over time. Yeah. <laughs> Not, yeah, Ginny's, she's Ginny's fine, still great, but, yeah. but like Mike is just more of an arc going on uh, at the moment. I agree the flashbacks were annoying and unnecessary, but I think the soap opera could have worked if it were about Mike. It would have been so much more interesting to focus on this guy at the end of his career who's not sure what's coming next and not sure who, uh, what he wants to move forward with, coming to terms with all of these newer, younger players taking his place. There are millions of TV shows and movies about the new hotshot. I'd be much more interested in watching someone retire in their mid-30s. Me too. Because um, I'm 39. Fair enough. <laughs> and I relate to that a little bit more. I think, uh, uh, for me, I think uh, uh, I think the problem wasn't so much that it shouldn't have been about Ginny. I think the problem was that too much of Ginny's storyline was about her being a novelty. And I think it needed mm. to be a bit more well, grounded. And I think if it had just been sort of beginning of career and end of the career and creating more parallels, that would have been great. But we got really distracted with that flashback structure and it just didn't come across. It's Harry Kim syndrome. This is a TV trope I, I have invented. Uh, in Star Trek Voyager, yeah. they had Harry Kim, maybe one of the least interesting characters ever written in Star Trek. Yeah. Because when they started out, started him out, he was an ensign. He's a young engineer, a young hotshot, intelligent, capable young man. Young. That was his character trait. He was young. Yeah, he was. The show goes on for seven years. He's not young anymore. What do you have? <laughs> What's Harry Kim when he's not young? Well, you know, they didn't really have much. And I, I feel that there's a lot of characters in Star Trek. There was also one in Enterprise. There was Ensign yeah. Mayweather that nobody cared about. He was a young hotshot. That was his only character trait. Mm. And even in this new one, they got a new uh, in Discovery. They okay. have Ensign Tilly. Or, or excuse me, she's Cadet Tilly. She's not even an Ensign yet. Shit. And she's young and, and, and aspirational. And she's a little bit on the spectrum, but yeah. what do you got when she's not young? Like, That's what why they turned Will that? Wheaton yeah. into like a star child or something. You just had to get rid of him after a while. Yeah, like yeah. Wesley Crusher. It's like, he's young. Okay, he ages. They yeah. do, People do get older. And then we're done. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, that that's, that's I call it Harry Kim syndrome. There you go. Anyway, uh, three other things. Okay. First, the photo shoot scene uh, in Pitch mm -hmm. was the best because of the bonding aspect, even if Amelia and Oscar have a fun moment. Second, the analyst who says they... Uh, have to shut her down in the final episode was not a new character. He's the one who figures heavily in Oscar's plot in the, the trade deadline episode. Yes, it is. Okay. That's true. And third, I think they had been sending Ginny slash Mike, uh, they had been setting up a Ginny slash Mike romance for a while before the court, never mind the hug. Keep up the good work. Best wishes. I think they've been setting it up for a while, but I think they airballed it. I think their chemistry yeah. is way too friendly. It's like, um, uh, if you recall in the movie uh, Pretty in Pink, uh, the original idea was that Molly Ringwald... Was it Molly Ringwald? Molly Ringwald. 
It was Molly Ringwald. Yeah. Okay, I, was, I always confuse her with Ali Sheedy for like half a second. So I want to make sure I was getting it right. <laughs> Molly Ringwald was supposed to end up with John Cryer's character in an early yeah. version of it. But when they cast John Cryer as opposed to their second choice, Robert Downey Jr., they realized that she had no sexual chemistry with John Cryer. She had lots of chemistry, but it wasn't sexual chemistry. She had sexual chemistry with Robert Downey Jr., and you could buy them in a relationship where they're both passionate about each other. So they had to change that because it just didn't play. (laughs) It's just a matter of chemistry. And I think Mark Paul Gosler and um, the actress who plays Jenny, they had great chemistry together, but it was mentor-student tension. Even when they tried to, with the plot, set them up romantically... It felt a little weird. It felt it felt super forced, and yeah. I, I always appreciate. Well, always I, I appreciate when it happens when uh, a show about an adult man and an adult woman become good friends without having any sort of romantic tension, yeah. where they can just be good friends. Not a lot of those. That's actually much more interesting dynamic, mm-hmm. much much more satisfying to watch. Yeah. than just watch them fall in love. And I them. think it's okay to have some occasional sexual tension, yeah. uh, but it's like uh, the X Files. Uh, they're friends. They've slept together a couple of times over the course of that storyline. Well, but like, there's the, still the, like that's that's where their relationship lies. The, the X Files is a, quite a great example because a lot of people tuned in because of like a little bit of sexual but tension was, between the two. But I feel like that them. was more the marketing than anything else. They just tried to play it up because yeah. they knew people wanted yeah. them to have sex. <laughs> people wanted to fuck. Well, they kiss in a dream scene. Was the next episode? Sell it. Well, I'd like to think of uh, um, Olivia and Elliot from Law and Order SVU. I don't really watch it. They never had any sexual tension. They were never. Well, first of all, they like he's a married man. They Mm -hmm. they were off on their own worlds, but they were never any sort of like flirtation. They were just professionals who respected each other, understood each other profoundly, and were good friends. Yeah, as professionals, and I like that kind of relationship a lot better. Than boring old sexual well, tension. One of my, I think my favorite uh, uh, Doctor Who companion <laughs> is actually, um, is it Catherine Tate? Donna. Yeah. She she had no sexual chemistry whatsoever with the Doctor. They played that way too much with her companions falling over the Doctor. She was just a buddy. Yeah. They were friends. And there was a couple of times when people assumed that they were together and they were both repulsed. <laughs> She's like, I would never. But that man, he has two hearts. That's insane. Yes. Who are you and what are you? Why are you insinuating? Anyway, we're done. <laughs> uh, we'll do more letters next time, uh, but we're back on track with that. We're getting count up. Uh, you can email us. Again, the email address is canceltoosoon at gmail.com. Uh, you can subscribe on Patreon and uh, help us keep the show afloat. Uh, for various different tiers, you get various different uh, kickbacks. Um, and uh, again, that's patreon.com slash canceltoosoon. We are on Twitter at cancelcast. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And next week, oh, wait, we can, will be- can I Can I pimp the canon? Oh, that's right. You should have done it at the beginning. I should have done it at the beginning. Yeah, what the Um, hell? I'm on the canon this week. Yeah. Uh, uh, Just a few days ago, the the newest episode of the canon over on Earwolf uh, debuted with me and Amy Nicholson talking about The Tingler. I nominated William Castle's 1959 classic, The Tingler, for the canon. Mm -hmm. And And, uh, uh, I'm with you on this. I think it should be canon. I think it should be. It should be canonized. It should be a classic. Uh, Amy thought so. I thought so. I've been checking the votes on the forums and the uh-huh. Earwolf forums, and uh, they're not so high on it right now. They're so, they're little kids. Well, they we'll don't see. Know. We'll see if, if the Tingler will make it into the canon or not. But I encourage you a to listen to that episode and b go ahead and vote because and, you can. And also watch the Tingler. Whether and, and, if you then, have yeah, or haven't, it's great. Um, and we'll be back next week with our next uh, horror film for uh, horror series for October. Uh, it's a little show that you found for us called Monster Squad. It has nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Monster Squad from the 70s. Yeah. It's 1974. And, and uh, it was made by the same team that brought you Batman. 
Yeah, the 1960s Batman, and it's but about it a guy. Has Universal monsters. It's about a guy who works at a wax museum, and the Frankenstein monster, Dracula, and the Wolfman come to life and fight supervillains. It is live action, <laughs> and I cannot wait. I haven't seen one. I've only seen stills. I haven't watched the series yet. I cannot wait to check this thing out because it sounds entirely up my alley. So this will be a blast. Yeah. So uh, I hope. And we'll find out next week for certain if that was canceled too soon. So everybody, thank you very much for listening. And uh, that's a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season.